Antediluvian Revelations, a poetic retelling of the Book of Enoch, the Prophet. A continuation of the summary discussion for Part 2. The Real Purpose for Transfiguration. The fifth canto in this second part has several antediluvian revelations. This portion begins with the introduction of the son of Lamech, where this character rightfully should appear. In the Ethiopic manuscript and early English translations, the son of Lamech initially appears in chapter X, 10, but this material does not belong in that location. In fact, this was one of the author's first discoveries of how the translated text was clearly out of sequence because of a curse placed upon the ancient manuscript. Breaking that curse in the poetic retelling finds the introduction of Noah more relevantly occurring later in the story sequence than it appears in the early English translations. Noah's appearance in this parable also confirms that Enoch had to return to earth during Noah's lifetime when the ice comet approached the earth on its slingshot trajectory from the Oort cloud. It takes some time for a chunk of ice from the outer reaches of the solar system to get to earth. If there might have been some concerns about this theory being even remotely possible, then the evidence to support this proposition is that there have been archaeological studies about the occurrence of an ice comet striking the earth around 14,000 years ago. The most important revelation in this segment is that God also transfigured Noah's spirit to be eternal before the flood, which enabled him to complete his mission and live an even longer life than most other human beings had ever lived in the history of mankind. Despite the image most people have in their minds about the earth after 40 days and nights of rain, archaeological evidence shows that there was a brief ice age after the comet struck the earth. A much more realistic understanding is that Noah and his family survived in that ship for much longer than 40 days and nights. The transfiguration of Noah was relatively important to ensure that he would not die before completing his mission. The transfiguration of Enoch had a similar practical requirement to ensure he did not die, which kept Enoch available to prevent anything bad from happening to Noah. The transfiguration of Elijah had the practical requirement of enabling him to return to earth becoming known as John the Baptist during the time of Jesus Christ, the transfiguration of Jesus Christ had the practical necessity of enabling him to rise from the dead in order to prove the message he delivered about God's forgiveness and gift of eternal life was the truth. The appearance of two witnesses at the occurrence of Jesus Christ's transfiguration had the purpose of validating transfiguration as Eloi's ultimate spiritual power. The three hearsay testimonies about Christ's transfiguration provide circumstantial evidence to correlate the early transfiguration events for Enoch, Noah, and Elijah as significant antediluvian revelations. All of these transfiguration events are documented occurrences of contact between humans and a superior extraterrestrial species that has the capability of modifying the spiritual energy of the human soul to be eternal. Transfiguration of a creature's spiritual energy to be everlasting or to end upon the death of its host is the capability that only one supreme being in the entire universe has, and Eloi is the one. The Mystery of the Two Witnesses The New Testament book of Revelation chapter 11 describes the appearance of two witnesses who will be killed and arise from the dead after three and a half days. When they ascend after resurrection, an earthquake will kill several thousand people. The discussion of this passage does not have complete correlation to the discussion of the prophecies appearing in the book of Enoch the prophet. However, two potential witnesses who were previously transfigured to have everlasting life are Noah and Enoch. An alternate explanation of Revelation chapter 11 is that the passage describes two witnesses who will appear on earth to proclaim the truth of Eloi. The two witnesses are components of the fourth and final CE6 event for mankind, and the outcome of that event will be known as Judgment Day. 
According to the Little Book Prophecy, humanity fails Judgment Day, which results in the Apocalypse. Depending upon when the reader may be reading this text, Judgment Day may have already happened, but there is no need to panic. There is really nothing anyone can do to stop the Apocalypse, and it is supposed to happen. Theoretically, the CE6 event of an attempted alien intervention on Judgment Day is similar to a litmus test, which will indicate to God Almighty that humanity has failed to repent and evolve as a peaceful species. Adonai's love and mankind's hatefulness and proclivity to murder are intolerable to God. Additionally, it may be that mankind is on the verge of discovering a technology necessary for interstellar travel, and God cannot allow humanity's hatred to infect another world. God has decreed the destruction of mankind to prevent the human species from being able to spread its filthy hatred elsewhere in the universe. If this event of an attempted intervention has already occurred, then it may have happened as long ago as the Eisenhower administration. Of course, the possible intervention in Earth's evolution by an alien species other than the Elohim is a very plausible idea because of what occurred during the time of Enoch, who may have lived on Earth as much as 14,000 years ago. Visiting aliens who attempted to communicate with Eisenhower in the 1950s may not have been the Elohim, but they may have been sent by Almighty God to warn humanity of how nuclear power was not to be used for weapons. If that did happen, then the goon squad working for Eisenhower probably killed the alien visitors after concluding that they were Soviet Union spies. The alien bodies mysteriously disappeared because of resurrection, and all of what happened was plausibly deniable. There will never be the discovery of any evidence to corroborate this theory, but plenty of ufologists and ancient alien theorists will love it. According to this theoretical explanation of the prophecy in Revelation chapter 11, mankind may have already failed Judgment Day by killing the extraterrestrial visitors who were God's appointed emissaries to administer the oath of non-interference when traveling to other worlds, or that these extraterrestrial visitors were here on Earth as a final attempt to prevent global thermonuclear war which will destroy the earth and the entire human species. It has become a concern that there has been an earthquake in Turkey that killed several thousand people, in excess of 7,000 as stated in John's prophecy. Because humanity is closely approaching that time when global thermonuclear war is more likely to occur without some kind of extraterrestrial intervention. It was also interesting that China stepped forward to propose a plan for peace between Russia and Ukraine, which has been rejected by all sides because there will be no peace. Based upon the prophecies in Revelation chapter 14 and Enoch's vision of the same future event, the fate of mankind is to end in catastrophically disastrous nuclear warfare that causes the earth to burn in radioactive fallout and thermonuclear detonations. The global use of thermonuclear weapons will surely cause the burning of the entire planet in an unquenchable fire. Cesium-137 is a man-made radioactive isotope, a byproduct of detonated concentrated plutonium in a fission reaction that will contaminate the Earth's air, water, and land. No living thing on the planet will survive beyond a few years, perhaps as many as seven in some cases, after the global use of nuclear weapons, unless the surviving organisms are capable of physiologically or chemically adapting to the irradiated environment that remains in the wake of nuclear warfare. While the physical half-life of cesium-137 is 30 years and its biological half-life is 70 days, human exposure to the radioisotope created by nuclear fission has been occurring since the 1950s. As a species, mankind is already slowly dying from exposure to cesium-137 
caused by multiple nuclear reactor accidents to include Three Mile Island, Chernobyl, and Fukushima. An alternate explanation of the Little Book prophecy is that world leaders who will weigh the effects of using nuclear weapons to shorten the war in Ukraine and other conflicts will erroneously determine that past experiences with accidental releases of radioactive contamination have not been so bad because people have survived those accidents. Additionally, the idea that one bomb will not cause all that much harm becomes a greater impetus for a preemptive strike. The second beast will desire to proclaim miraculous powers by bringing lightning from the heavens to the earth when he is faced with having to accept losing his power in the world He will not go gently into that good night, but he will go deep underground in a bunker designed to ensure his survival and the survival of selected invitees when he decides to use nuclear weapons to end a war for the second time in the history of mankind. Of course, that choice does not achieve the same result as it did in 1945. Ancient Prophecies Have Come to Pass Fulfillment of the prophecy in Revelation chapter 13 with the rise of the second beast, who dictated that all must have proof of vaccination to buy and sell, indicates that Judgment Day may have already occurred or is close at hand. According to this explanation of how the prophecy has come to pass, the second beast was unsuccessful in his attempt to oppress the citizens of the United States with his insane edict, and the action of attempting to dictate these restrictions was the fulfillment of prophecy. Revelation chapter 14 describes a CE5 event with one like the Son of Man, a prophet, revealing the eternal truth followed by the apocalyptic reaping of humanity. The exact sequence of events may not be found in the current text of the New Testament, and this is a reasonable conclusion, given that the book of Enoch, the prophet, also has this same non-sequential arrangement. Some mysteries are intentionally not allowed to be so easily solved, but time will tell. Canto 5 in Part 2 is probably the best part of the epic because it tells how Noah came to know the prophecy of the flood. There are two other very critical revelations appearing in this canto, the naming of the seven conspirators who initiated the transgression of contaminating humanity with extraterrestrial DNA, and the naming of the century when God will allow the destruction of earth by fire. The prophecy foretelling the timing of the apocalypse appears vague and encrypted. There is no enumeration of conspirators higher than 21, and the decryption of this riddle indicates that there is a mathematical answer regarding the numbers. In plain English, this prophecy indicates the timing of the apocalypse will be in the 21st century. Enoch prophesied using mathematics in vague riddle format several times in his writing, so there is justification for the interpretation of this part and other similar instances of numerological prophecies appearing later in the book. The logical explanation for Enoch's use of numerical riddles to prophesy future events is that he could not have known how to make these predictions any other way or with any specificity other than a numerical encryption. He could not have referred to events or people in a future time with specificity because he would not have known or understood the significance of those people or events. Enoch prophesied future events mostly by using allegorical representations or cryptic numerical representations for those events that would occur in a time so far distant from his own that the only possible way to make the predictions was to use mathematics, an unchangeable concept that has existed for eternity. Decrypting these mathematical riddles requires wisdom, knowledge, and understanding. The only thing that has changed about mathematics since the time of Enoch has been humanity's understanding of it. Mankind may be close to knowing as much about mathematics and cosmology as Enoch did 14,000 years ago. Enoch received his education from extraterrestrial sources. One interesting scene within this segment occurs with three of the watchers discussing among themselves the outcome of Judgment Day in the apocalyptic end of humanity. 
Enoch takes note of their conversation. The holy angels are saddened that their other angels will be punished for breaking the oath God imposed upon all of them when they were created to have eternal life and the capability to travel throughout the universe. Michael, Raphael, and Raquel have a curious exchange of words, with Raphael mostly being silent, while Michael and Raquel respond according to their emotions about the eventual punishment, which they know will occur for both eternal beings and ephemeral beings during the apocalypse after Judgment Day. The event will likely have the same effect of shock and awe as in the first transfiguration, which made all of them aware of Almighty God's truly awesome capabilities. Messianic Prophecy and Transfiguration Canto 5 finishes with additional references to the Messiah. In the New Testament Gospels, the testimonies that describe the transfiguration of Jesus was credited to three disciples who were not present when that event occurred. The three disciples who were present at that event never wrote about what they saw. The surviving hearsay testimonies say that two witnesses appeared with Jesus at his transfiguration. The one witness who did not write about it was the Apostle John, who erroneously thought that the transfiguration meant Jesus was the Son of God. Jesus told John not to talk about what he had seen because he knew that John would not have the ability to comprehend the close encounter with extraterrestrials. Jesus understood all of it, but he could not have explained it to anyone else because of the limited intellectual evolution among men at that time. Jesus was prodigiously intelligent because he had been blessed with God's Holy Spirit from birth. More importantly, Jesus also knew that John and the other disciples were not ever going to become intellectually evolved enough to clearly explain what they had seen on that mountainside to anyone else. The Elohim came down from heaven in the holy conveyance, bringing Enoch and Elijah to meet with Jesus when he was given the gift of everlasting life. Transfiguration of a human soul to have everlasting life may be the most important of all antediluvian revelations in Enoch's story. Despite the polytheistic and pagan heresy of Constantine's perversion of Christianity, the eternal truth realigns faith in Jesus Christ as Messiah, with Judaism as the monotheistic belief which claims there is only one God who is the Holy Spirit. Jesus was not God, nor Son of God. Transfiguration is the event when Eloi gave Jesus eternal life so his spirit could return to his body after he physically died and Raphael had healed his body. Jesus Christ did not heal his own body, because that was the task of the Elohim when they removed him from the tomb. The crucifixion is symbolized in this epic by references to the tree of eternal life, which is a figurative representation of how there is life with God and his Holy Spirit after the death of the human body. The apostles who were not present at the transfiguration event said the two witnesses appearing with Jesus in the light from the holy conveyance in the sky above were Moses and Elijah. Their hearsay testimonies were incorrect. Moses was not one of the two witnesses. Moses was a murderer, and he was never transfigured to have eternal life. The only persons who could have been there as eternal witnesses were Enoch, Noah, or Elijah. Both Enoch and Elijah ascend into the heavens, so they were most likely the two witnesses present at Jesus Christ's transfiguration. Witnesses to the Transfiguration There is another possible explanation for the two witnesses who were at Christ's transfiguration. There is also the possibility that Noah may have been one of the two witnesses because he was also transfigured with eternal life. In consideration of how the antediluvian revelation of Noah's genetically anomalous birth as an albino may have additionally been the cause of confusion for Jesus' disciples who thought they may have seen Moses, it is reasonable to postulate that the few human witnesses to the transfiguration event would have seen one of the figures as an extremely old, white-bearded and white-haired person, easily mistaken for Moses, an ancient historical figure in Hebrew lore. The elder person of the two witnesses would have actually been Enoch. Moreover, an additional postulation in rebuttal to any opposition about this proposed identity is that the heretics who colluded with the pagans 
to editorialize the testimonies of the apostles may have agreed to allow much of the canonized work on the New Testament to go forward with Moses being injected as one of the witnesses because those heretics did not want to deny Moses or their oppressive laws of sacrifice. One fact is certain. The testimonies of Christ's transfiguration event appearing in the New Testament are not those of the actual witnesses to that event when it happened. There is a very low level of accuracy in testimonies based upon hearsay, and such testimonies are not allowed in a court of law. These descriptions of the two witnesses are further examples of how the New Testament Gospels contain fraudulent information. It was Jesus Christ's declaration of an end to the laws of Moses and his teaching of repentance rather than sacrifice that most angered the Hebrew heretics at that time. The laws of Moses were oppressive and based upon pagan ideologies of sacrifice for the atonement of sin. It was Jesus' mission to bring all of their pagan idolatry to an end by preaching repentance and the hope for everlasting life in the one true God of all the universe. The inclusion of Moses at Christ's transfiguration is a contradiction because Jesus did not preach acceptance of Moses' laws. God would not have selected Moses to be present as a witness to the transfiguration of Jesus Christ, because the laws of Moses caused the need for a messianic intervention, which was also a CE6 event in human history. The purpose for the Messiah was to clearly correct the path of mankind, which had followed the teaching of Moses into an era of idolatry and faithlessness. The two historically relevant deliverers of mankind by virtue of their successes were Enoch and Noah. Depending on the actual timing of events known to have occurred during Christ's lifetime, Enoch and Noah may have been the two witnesses if John the Baptist was still alive when Christ's transfiguration occurred. Jesus told his disciples that Elijah had been known to them as John the Baptist, so the Apostle John may have accurately recognized him if he had been close enough to identify him. However, it is reasonably practical to infer from the hearsay testimonies and a logical understanding of the people of the time frame that the three disciples present were not staring at the beings who appeared with Jesus. The most likely behavior for those intellectually undeveloped humans was that they were hiding their faces and covering their gazes in fear. It might only be humans from modern times that would either run and get a shotgun, stare directly at the event for its duration, or take photographs. While running to get a shotgun is still an intellectually undeveloped response to a CE3 event, there are many human beings who have still not evolved enough to be willing to make peaceful connections with extraterrestrials. It is also a reasonable conclusion that Elijah had been transfigured to have eternal life, which is clearly supported by the testimony of Jesus Christ, an Old Testament scripture describing his departure from earth in an extraterrestrial manner. Noah may have been a witness to Jesus' transfiguration if John the Baptist was still alive when the transfiguration event occurred. If John the Baptist had not been decapitated by the time of Jesus' transfiguration, then Noah would have been one of the two witnesses. It does make sense that Elijah would return to be one of the two witnesses. However, Jesus told John not to talk about what he had seen until after his resurrection. Before he was crucified, Jesus stated to the disciples that they had known Elijah as John the Baptist. But there is no clear chronological evidence to validate that Jesus told the apostles this fact only after John the Baptist had been killed. If Christ's transfiguration occurred before John the Baptist was beheaded, then Elijah could not have been one of the two witnesses. He simply could not have been two places at the same time. Despite the complexity of this argument about the theoretical identity of the two witnesses, there are some serious considerations that clearly prove the facts. To wit, the disciples whose testimonies appear in the New Testament were not there to witness the event. Current medical science will confirm that a beheaded human body cannot be revived after the cerebral cortex has been severed, and only God Almighty has the power to repair this type of extensive damage to a corporeal form. 
Neither Jesus, the Messiah, nor Raphael, the archangel, could have healed John the Baptist. A completely new physical body would have been the most practical solution to restore Elijah's eternal spirit into a human form. The testimonies of record were supposedly written by the apostles Matthew, Mark, and Luke, but they were not present to witness the transfiguration. The testimonies appearing in the New Testament were faked by heretics and pagans who created the text based on hearsay testimonials and not factual evidence. It is with great certainty stated here that Moses was not one of the two witnesses because he was a murderer and ineligible for everlasting life. The creation of second-hand testimonials in the Gospels which stated that Moses was one of the two witnesses is another example of editorialization crimes committed by those early pagan idolaters who ignorantly cursed the Holy Bible. But there are still many truths in the book that continue to make it worth reading and studying. As long as an ordained clergy is not doing the teaching about the book, the reader will have more success learning the truth by praying to the Holy Spirit and asking God for guidance to know what is the truth in that book. Christianity is a fraudulent religion based upon a perversion of truth and pagan ideology. Jesus was the Messiah, and he was not the Son of God. Jesus was not a pagan human sacrificed for the forgiveness of sin. The next part of this epic poem is the cosmology of Enoch, and another name for this content is the universal laws of the luminaries. The poetic retelling makes this section of the translated text more enjoyable to read than the early English translations. There is a hidden mystery within this part, and there are a few antediluvian revelations in this short portion of the epic story. Some of the content in this next part will seem chronologically out of order compared to the previous part, which introduced Noah as an adult. Later in this epic story, Enoch returns to earth when Noah is born. This event might become very confusing to the reader because Noah has already appeared as an adult in the narrative. A previous edition of this work provided the author's best understanding of the chronological sequence of events as they most likely occurred in history at this point in the discussion. However, it seemed that providing this information in this discussion was too early in the structure of the work. In an effort to maintain reader interest, the information will appear in a later summary discussion when the revelation will not likely ruin the suspense of the tale. This concludes this episode of Antediluvian Revelations, a poetic retelling of the Book of Enoch, the Prophet. Be sure to subscribe or follow for notifications of new releases. Thank you for listening. I am Michael.